Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Amen. Hey, if you're taking notes, the title of today's message is, Look What I Can Do. Look at your neighbor and say, Look What I Can Do. Look What I Can Do. We're going to be in Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10. Three verses, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Anyone heard this before? You've heard this before. Maybe you've claimed it like that. Maybe that's your life verse or you've even memorized it. But for the most part, many of us are familiar with this verse, this passage where Jesus has made us alive through this free gift of grace. And through this grace, he's really, he's alleviated this pressure on us to perform for him. This pressure that I have to show off for God. God, look what I can do. Look what I can do, God, because grace is a gift. Come on, grace is a gift. Say it with me. Grace is a gift. Grace is a gift of God. So what is it about us that we continually feel like we have to perform for him? That we have to do. We have to achieve. We have to earn. We have to qualify ourselves in order to get God to like us so that he's not angry with us. In order to understand this performance-fueled drive that each one of us carry, we need to rewind the clock a little bit. We got to go back before Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, back before Jesus' birth, back before Abraham and Isaac, and, and back before he was even called out, back to the garden. Because the best way to start any story is to start at the beginning. And we're going to take a peek at humanity and how they thought, and how they viewed the world, and how that view has brought us to this place where the familiar things, like this passage I just read, are really unfamiliar. That we read it, and we understand it, but we don't understand the depth of it all the time. But how we also haven't gotten very far from this mentality of, God, look what I can do for you. Look what I can do. So in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, right? puts Adam and Eve in a garden and he surrounds them with all this fruit, these trees, all these things that they can be doing. And he says, you can do eat of any of the trees of the fruit except for the one. And as a child, what do they do? <laughs> they go and eat the one thing. And all the parents said, amen. The kids did exactly what God told them not to, right? So this causes sin. Adam and Eve experience a spiritual death. Now, spiritual death, they didn't die physically. They died spiritually, means, which means they're simply separated from God. They're no longer in relationship with him. Sin entered the scene in the relationship, and God would have to restore it. And this wasn't just for Adam and Eve. This was for all of us sitting here today. All of humanity experiences this broken relationship with God because of their sin. And so what do Adam and Eve do? In their sin, they tried to make it right. They tried to cover it up. They tried to do for themselves. They, they grabbed some fig leaves and they sewed them together and they covered it up. Genesis 3-7, Then the eyes of both, both being Adam and Eve, were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This was the beginning of us trying to do what only God can do 
covering our sin, trying to make things right, trying to fix it. And this cycle of covering over and over again was born. Because what did they make them out of fig leaves? Well, fig leaves are going to dry out. They're going to crack. They're going to break. They're going to fall apart. And eventually the, the leaves are going to have to be replaced again. And so over and over and over again, they would have to go through the cycle of, hey, look what I can do. No, I can do it, God. I can, I can cover it. I can cover my sin. I can do it for myself. I want us to understand our drive to perform and to appease God is deeply seated in the consciousness of our humanity. It's deeply seated in your ability to be a human that you have to perform for God. And this is something we learn. Yeah, we inherit original sin, but it's also something we learn from the generation that went before us, our parents, our grandparents. And they learned it from the people that went before them and them and all the way back to Adam and Eve to try to fix things ourselves. I, I, I can do it. God, look what I can do. I can do this myself. Just, just let me do it. And from, Abraham, or from Adam came this drive to cover our mistakes to keep God happy. But God isn't one who leaves us in our failures. Genesis 3.21, just 14 verses later, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. So we see man sin, we see him try to fix his own mess, and then we see God come in the middle of the mess and say, here, let me help you. Because what you're trying to do, you're not capable of. You can't fix this. There is no look what I can do. God made a sacrifice to cover the sin, and he provided. Are we seeing a pattern? God was acting in grace. And the funny thing about grace is it usually doesn't manifest itself the way we think it would. Adam and Eve tried to cover their sin with fig leaves, and it looked a certain way, and it felt a certain way, but God comes along in his grace, and suddenly grace looks completely different, and grace feels completely different. And sometimes in our, our walk, in our journey, we're like, ah, that doesn't feel right. But we're not people of feelings, we're people of faith. Because grace doesn't always feel like we think it's going to. People were born separated from God, but he provides a way. And as more and more people began to be born and populate the earth, they would go further and further from God. Remember, the relationship is broken. No one was telling them about God. No one was telling them about the one true God. And because there was no relationship, they weren't learning about him. And they moved further and further and further from knowing him. Instead, they turned their attention to the forces of nature. And they began to notice things about the forces of nature, these elements that they were up against, the, the heat and the cold and the wind and the rain and the snow and, and flooding and all of these different elements coming against them. And they noticed how these elements had an impact in their lives. These forces determined if their crops lived or died. And, and some of these forces, they, they wow, what, what's happening over here? Why are we getting floods now and, and, and it's drying out over here? And so they began to create gods and goddesses from these forces. They began to give these forces names and personalities. And the idea took root that when the sun god was angry, he would burn up your crops. He needed to be appeased. When the drought would come or when the floods would come and, and take out your entire livestock or all of your, your fields, well, then the rain god needed an offering. He needed to be made happy. 
When the winds and the storm would come in, the wind god was angry at us, so we have to do something to make it right. They begin to give these forces names and personalities. Remember, we're talking about people who lived and died by the food they could harvest. They, they weren't going to Walmart. They weren't going to Whole Foods. They weren't going to Price Cutter. It was what they could kill or what they could grow. And if your God is upset or mad at you and your life is on the line, you're going to do whatever it takes to make sure you get on God's good side. Or maybe the hunt was a bust. They've been tracking the herd for days or weeks. Their family's back home and they're starving. And they know that we've got to kill the animal, but they begin to bargain with God. If, and hunters, come on. You've been in that tree stand. God, if you will just let me kill this buck, I will. I will do whatever you want me to do. If you'll just let me catch this fish, this one last, so I can, I can catch my limit and I can go home. I, I'll treat my wife right. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. We begin to bargain with the gods. If, it, if you'll just do this thing, if you'll just land me this job, a promotion, a sale, this house, give me this spouse, or if you'll just give us this child. Over time, God, the gods and the goddesses are created by humanity, and, and we're familiar with some of them. Pop culture, history's taught us some, legends taught us some. Zeus, right? Poseidon, Apollo, Thor, Loki, come on, some of our, my MCU people, you know what I'm talking about. Nike, named after a god. And then there are some we're familiar with, but we don't really realize we're familiar with. Like all the planets in the solar system, except for Earth, is named after a god or a goddess. Or the days of the week, Sunday through Saturday, named after a god. Sunday, named after the god of the sun, reserved to worship this god. Or the, the, the months on a calendar, January to December, named after gods and goddesses. January. It's named after this god named Giannis. And Giannis is the god of doorways. So Giannis has the ability to look into the future and into the past. He's the god of beginnings and the god of ends. And doesn't it make sense that this god of beginnings and ends would be the first month of a year? See, history tells us a lot of things. There's a reason behind it. And so all of these gods and these goddesses are manifesting themselves. They're being worshipped by God's created. The one true God isn't getting his worship. They don't know him. Even in, in uh, Ephesus, where we have our letter taking place, the people of Ephesus, they worshipped a God named Artemis. And she was this God of the hunt and of wild animals. So she could like, keep them away, I guess, and protect them or call them into you. I don't know. But eventually people began to set aside portions of their crops as offerings to the gods, as an, a means to appease. Well, I'm going to give him this much and hope that he blesses me. And, and when I get this much, I'm going to give him this much and hope that he blesses me. And when I get this much, I'm going to give him this much and hope that he blesses me in this bargaining cycle is born inside of us. And they didn't know him or, or, or any of the gods how to make them happy. And at some point it went from offering crops to offering blood. First it was the blood of animals. 
But then it shifted because it wasn't enough. The gods were still angry, so it shifted to the blood of people. Now, the Mayans and the Aztecs are well known for sacrificing people. At one Aztec sacrificial location, at one Aztec architectural, or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Somebody, come on. What? Archaeological site, thank you. Architectural, come on, Josh. It wasn't dysentery, Ryan. Uh, (laughs) At one archaeological site, the remains of 40 children were found on an altar dedicated to a god. From 2011 to 2018, 269 children were found in another site in Peru. Now at this site, they believe about 500 years ago, an El Nino event came through and wiped out all the crops, wreaked havoc on the land. There was starvation, people dying. And so what do the people do? They take an entire generation of kids and they offer them to the gods because these weather gods are angry. They're mad. And what do you do? What do you do? We might be thinking, how sick, how twisted, how barbaric. But when you're desperate and God is distant and unknown to you, what could be more valuable than offering your child your blood so that your tribe can survive? What they understood, what the ancients understood, is that there is a God who would require a sacrifice of salvation. What they got wrong and what we get wrong is believing that we can offer anything worthy of that salvation. And yet we get up every day and we think and we feel like we have to appease God. But this is the beauty of the gospel, because enter Jesus. And this God comes along and he says, I'm I'm knowable. And not only can you know me, you can know my name, and you can tell my story, and you can give my teachings to others. You can carry my ways, and and if that's not enough, I'm going to give you my spirit to help you in your day-to-day, to help you live out this life I've called you to. So when we come to a familiar passage like Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, and we read For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This familiar passage suddenly takes shape. It has texture. It makes more sense in the light that the story of the gospel is more powerful than when we first believed. Because now we understand, Paul isn't just writing something nice to convince people how to live better lives. Paul is trying to upend a system of worship and a view of God that is broken. This view of God that he's angry, he's mad, he's upset, and he wants us to prove our worth and our worthiness. A system that says, I'm waiting for you to screw up. A broken system that says, I'm waiting for you to mess up so I can come down on you. He's waiting to punish us, and it's somehow our job to make him happy. So when the Ephesians read, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, for people who've been trying to perform and please God for hundreds of years, this is a revolutionary thought. And yet, today, 2,000 years later, we still carry an unspoken weight that if I don't do this thing, if I make a mistake, if I mess up, God is going to hate or punish me, which leaves us in the same thought pattern as our ancestors. 
this backward thinking. And so today we're going to look at three verses, like I said, Galatians or Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. We've read them, but we're going to break them down a little bit. So Ephesians 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. If you're taking notes, point number one is salvation is a gift, grace is a force. Salvation is a gift, grace is a force. Paul is saying the idea of salvation and the work of salvation, completely God's. Our job is to trust him to do what he says he's going to. It's a gift from beginning to end. It's all him. We don't play a major role. We have a minor role in the story that he's telling. But we have been raised to life. We have been brought back from the dead. And this is done through grace. Now, the Greek word for grace in this sentence is the word karas. Let me hear you say karas. Let's try that again. Let me hear you say karas. Kadras is, it means that which affords joy, pleasure, or delight. So you could read the passage this way, for it is by God's joy, pleasure, or delight you have been saved. Grace is the divine's influence upon the heart and the heart's reflection in life. Grace is God loving you right where you are. It's God's favor upon the soul. It's this favor and it's this force a force that awakens you to open your eyes so you think differently, you behave differently, you speak differently, you respond differently. Where before there was contention, now now I'm gonna gonna respond in grace. Where before you, you, you responded in condemnation, I'm gonna respond in grace because your world has collided with this force that is changing you. Where people were naming forces before, This force gives us his name. First in the Old Testament, Moses, side of a mountain, right? Burning bush, starts talking like they do. I mean, that's completely normal. So he stops, takes a look. Bush starts talking to him, tells him, Moses, I need you to free my people that are in Egypt. They're under the Egyptian slavery, and I need you to free them. Time out. You're talking to me. Okay, let's run with this. Who should I say sent me. And he says, tell him the I am did. So God gives Moses his name. It's the I am. And then he says, I am the Lord your God. What God is doing is he's establishing a relationship before he's establishing rules to live by. It's chapters later before God gives Moses and the Israelite people a list of rules to follow. First, he established the relationship. Then he established the rules. And then God actually puts on flesh and blood and comes to earth as Jesus, a name that means God saves, and he's bringing salvation to the world through this Jesus. So Paul, writing to the Ephesians, he needs them to understand your salvation is favor. Grace is the objective, operative, and instrumental cause of salvation. And faith is necessary. It's absolutely necessary, but faith is not something we manufacture for ourselves. The fact that we can even have faith, that we have the capacity to have faith, that you have the mind that can process faith is grace from God. It's grace. It's all grace. Faith is a part of grace. It's a response to his grace he's given us through the work of the Holy Spirit. The entire process of salvation is from God. It's a gift, and we have nothing to do with it. 
Salvation is a gift. Grace is a force. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, verse 9, I love what Paul does here. Watch what he does here. And this is to keep us humble. This next verse, it's an additional, it's not an additional thought as much as it's, it's a check in our attitude. He says, not by works so that no one can boast. Point two, we work from acceptance, not for acceptance. Grace is a gift. We work from acceptance, not for acceptance. This grace is a gift. All of it's a gift. The role we play is to either ignore it, which is to deny it, or to receive and to believe it's true that God has done what he said he's going to do. And no part of this is us achieving our salvation. Because the first thing we would do, if we had any part in achieving it, we'd brag about it, right? Conor McGregor just <laughs> strutting across the stage. I've got my grace. I've got my salvation walking into the room. You got yours? You haven't got it yet? Oh, well, that sucks. Maybe next time. Tried working a little harder for it. Got it online. They've got a sale going on. Go to the box store. Go to the name brand store. Now, mine was a hand-me-down. My brother wasn't using his, so I just kind of took it from him. And We brag about it. We'd find a way to make it about us, and, and then we'd hang it on a wall like a, like a plaque that we had earned or, or some type of certificate or a degree or a medal we had won, and it'd collect dust, and we'd forget. We'd forget all about it. We'd, we'd make it about us. But the grace of Jesus isn't look what I can do. It's look what God has done. What Paul is doing is making sure the people of Ephesus understand what I want us to walk out of here understanding. To know Jesus better, we have to begin by understanding that grace is a gift. Grace is a gift. And the, to prevent us from even the slightest hint of self-reliance or boasting, God gives it to us as a gift. And he doesn't allow us to operate in an area that says, I can earn this. We don't work to get what has already been given to us. We don't work to obtain what has already been bought for us. We don't work to gain what is already ours. We don't work to get God's favor. We work because we have his favor. Work from acceptance. Today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day. Not for it. Work from it not for it, not by works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Point number three, we are God's handiwork. You're God's handiwork. Paul is saying God created you, he made you, and he joined you in Christ to work with him. He's invited you to come alongside him and do the things that he wants you and has prepared for you to do. So this work is simply partnering with God. As messed up as we are, as messed up as you might believe you are, as messed up as you might feel sometimes, God wants to partner with you. The creator of everything says, I have a job for you to do. The word handiwork in the Greek is the word poyama. Come on, let me hear you say poyama. Poyama. And it means a product or that which has been made. And it's where we get our word for poem. Poema is where we get our word for poem. You are God's poem. You're his art created in Christ. And no poem has ever been written absent of author's time, energy, effort, or passion. God put thought and process 
into you when he created you. Your birth wasn't an accident. You may not have been planned, hello, but you've always been on God's radar. You have always been on heaven's radar. So the work we partner with God in is to put our salvation on display to the world so that God is glorified in all we do. He has taken a dead thing and made it alive. He's raised you and me to life because salvation is supposed to produce something in us. Salvation isn't just a ticket out of hell. Salvation isn't a means for us to become better people. Salvation isn't a way of behavior modification. Salvation is to testify to the good things, the good works of God in our lives and the reality of grace in us, how grace has changed us. So while works play no part of securing our salvation, our work proves grace is real to us. It's real. James puts it this way, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. He's, saying, he's like, listen, just talking about God and, and just blasting off at the mouth and not doing anything for God, it's garbage. It's nonsense. Because real faith works. Real grace is going to change you to a place of putting it on display for the world. Faith is not a fairy tale or a good story or something we do to pass the time. Faith is a story of grace. And when grace is real to us, it changes us. And when it changes us, the people around us begin to see Jesus. Paul is saying, God's in the, in the business of making and saving, creating and transforming. And through Christ, he invites us into community. He invites us back into harmony. Remember the broken relationship? Christ has restored it. And he's invited us into the work and this work he's designed specifically for you to do. Some of you walk through your day with this thought of, I'm just a, I'm, I'm, I'm just a financial advisor. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a business owner. I'm just a salesman. I'm just a business owner. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a, no one is just a, you are never just uh, you were created in Christ and grace with work designed and designated specifically for you to do. So don't downplay your assignment because we need you to do the things God has called you for. We are God's handiwork. Created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This morning, the question on the table for all of us is... Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? That's the invitation. The invitation of the cross is to come into Christ. And the question I'm posing to everyone today is, are you in Christ? Have you received this grace? And I want to clarify this. This is not you claim to be a Christian or you claim to be religious. You come from a, a, a pastor's family or your grandfather was a pastor or your grandmother was a pastor. This isn't, I'm a better person than I used to be. I attend church. In Christ means you are positionally, relationally, and spiritually linked to Jesus. In other words, you have been by faith joined into his death for your sins, his burial in your place, and his resurrection into life by the power of God. That's what it means to be in Christ. So if you're in Christ, you don't work to achieve or appease God. You're not working 
to please him. You need to believe and receive what God has done for you because Christ's work on the cross says it's finished. I no longer have to try to appease God. I have to have faith that God through Christ is pleased with me. And grace is not easy. It cost Christ his life. Grace is not God overlooked sin. He didn't brush it off or, or wink at us and say, hey, sport, try harder next time. He said, there's a consequence for sin. My wrath is real, but the wrath isn't going to come down on you. The wrath is going to come down on my son for your good and my glory. And where Adam failed and fell into sin in the garden, Christ found victory over sin and rose from the grave. Yeah, we can clap for that. Absolutely. Listen, we're anxiety-ridden creatures. We are filled with this anxiety and we have a soundtrack that plays in our head on a loop over and over and over again that says, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good looking enough. I can't do this thing. I can't do that thing. And we try to do and do and more and more and more. And we grit our teeth and we bear down and we try to please God. And we say, God, I'm trying. Look what I can do for you. I'm really trying here. And the story of Jesus is a story that says, you don't have to live that You don't have to live that way. You don't have to live that way. Jesus sacrificed himself once for all. Jesus' sacrifice is the final solution for our sin. God has made peace with you and he's made peace with me. And we don't have to live with this anxiety of trying to make him happy. We get to live free knowing that Christ's sacrifice has done what we could never do. It's brought peace. God simply wants us to trust him, to follow him, to reorder your life around him. Because he's made peace, not so that he will. And this brings a new light to repentance. Repentance isn't this bargaining tool. Repentance isn't God, forgive me and now bless me. We're not bargaining for God's love. Repentance is turning to God and saying, I can't do what you've already done. Forgive me for even trying. Forgive me for even pretending that I could show you what I can do. And all that remains is to point to what we believe in our our savior and to celebrate and worship what God has done in our lives. So your performance doesn't determine your destination. Your performance displays your fruit and your faithfulness to God out of your salvation. Your performance says grace is real. This life change I'm experiencing is real. Jesus is real. Grace has changed your posture towards God and towards others. And it says, I don't have to live that way anymore. I can walk out free, free to worship, free to believe, free to share my faith. With heads bowed and eyes closed, this is the portion of the service where we give you an invitation to pray a prayer and to to receive Jesus. But this morning, it's going to look a little different. 
before Jesus went to the cross, he washed the feet of his disciples. He served. And so what I want you to do is I want you to picture God in flesh and blood, Jesus kneeling before you, taking your face in his hands and saying, I see you. I know what you've done. I know you've been trying really hard. I know you've been white knuckling on to everything to try to keep things together for you and your family. I know 2020 has been insane. It's been crazy. There's been strain. It's been stressful. It's been rough. It's been completely unpredictable. I even know and see the the quiet places where you've tried to do the right thing. But let me remind you it's done and you're not working to, to get my favor. You're working because you have it. The work is finished. The work is finished and you don't have to live that way. And now that I've reminded you, let me tell you who you are. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my holy chosen creation. You're my beloved. You are my church, my hands and my feet, my body in the world. You, my child, are my poem. And my salvation is put on display through what you do in this life. And now that you know who you are and who you belong to, you're free to go and do the works he's created you to do. The work of carrying the name of Jesus the work of living a life of extravagant worship and telling the world of his radical grace. We're gonna say a prayer and we're gonna say this collectively. I invite you to say it. Whether you're maybe repenting, coming back to God, or maybe you're gonna say it for the first time, but if you'd repeat after me, Jesus, I love you. I thank you for grace. I thank you for this gift. I thank you that you give it freely. I thank you you're rich in mercy, that you've taken this sinful person, you've pulled them out of the pit, you've raised me from the grave, and you've given me new life in you. I repent of my sins. I confess your name, Jesus. You are Savior, you are Lord, you are supreme. I want to follow you. I'm not going to get it right all the time. I'm going to mess up. But I'm going to follow you. Because I don't want to live that way anymore. We love you. And in Jesus' name, everyone said. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.